is the Doing Diversity in Writing podcast, the show where we as authors explore the better practices of writing inclusively, whether that be in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, class, sexuality, ability, and so on. Why are we here? To bring more depth and breadth to the characters in our fiction and represent them in the best way possible. My name is Bethany A. Tucker, and with me each week is my co-host, Marielle S. Smith. Ready? Let's dive in. Hey, Marielle, how are you doing? Hey, Bethany, I'm I'm okay. It's I know this episode isn't launching until like the end of January, I think, but um, it's the the 13th of December as we record this. We're super on it. Um, just to get some things out of the way before the holidays start. And I'm super psyched. Uh, so my energy might be a bit palpable because um, I'm still in the middle of my book launch. It launched uh, 52 weeks of writing. It launched two weeks ago. It's being really well received. Um, I'm in the middle of, of the book tour, the virtual book tour. And that's also been going really great this far. And another reason why I'm psyched today is you know, because of the book launch, I, I stepped away from the office a little bit uh, for the past two months because that needed all my attention. But I'm back in the office and I've started editing um, a dissertation earlier today. And it's the topic is just really, I love it. It's it's on same-sex desire and gender nonconformity in the Dutch Caribbean. And the researcher looks at it through the lens of race, gender, sexuality, Dutch colonialism, imperialism, slavery, and so that's right up my alley, and I'm really happy to be to be back uh, at work. So I'm a bit, uh, even though it's uh, 9 p.m. here, uh, I'm, I'm quite psyched today. How are you? I mean, that sounds perfectly up your alley. I'm doing well. Um, I'm thinking forward to when this episode will air, and I will be heavily into Unchosen 2. So uh, right now, just getting through the holidays, came back from traveling and planning the new year, which I always just take a lot of time in December and plan the new year and think about what I want and don't want to do. But that's over now by the time everyone hears this. So in real time, when everyone's hearing this, I will probably just be writing my heart out. Which is good because I cannot wait until that book is done. <laughs> yes, I, I can hear people snapping whips already. The last review is like, so I need the new book yesterday. And I'm like, it it takes a while to write these babies. They're huge. Yes. yes so, yeah. um, so today we have our first interviewee and you are going to introduce him for us. Yes, I am. So today we have with us Antoine Bandele. I'm sure I've, I've tried that a million times. I'm sure I did it wrong anyway. Um, he's an Amazon bestselling author in action adventure fantasy, dark fantasy, sword and sorcery, African-American fantasy, and African literature. He was born and raised in Los Angeles, though he spent one year in Fort Lewis near Tacoma, Washington, while his father served in the US Army. Antoine lives in Los Angeles with his girlfriend and cat, super cute cat, by the way, and you can find him producing videos all over YouTube, including his own channel. Um, and his uh, bio on his website says, which you should totally check out and you totally should because Bethany has become a total fan in the meantime. Um, and Antoine is just really fun to, to look at and listen uh, to. And Antoine is also an audiobook engineer. He is the author of the young adult fantasy series, DJ Young and Eurytias, the adult fantasy series, The Sky Pirate Chronicles, The Lost Tales of Esso One, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong as well, The Kishi and more. Antoine, welcome. Oh, uh, thank you. And uh, I believe every single pronunciation you did was uh, correct. So <laughs> no, no mind, no mind. And also big compliment from you about the kitty, because I know you have like cats for days. So to say that mine's very, very cute is a, uh, it's huge. I think that my current foster cat looks very much like your cat. Oh, I mean, yeah, he, he's, I don't know yeah. what kind of cat, because I know everybody's like, what's your breed of cat? And I was like, I do not know, a, a cat. It's it's a tabby, it's a tabby cat. Oh, there you, you have go. a tabby cat. There it is. Yeah. Marielle yeah. is definitely the, the authority on cats around here. And Theo, her little um, foster right now is absolutely adorable and probably hates all of us for making her put him in the other room right now. Yeah, 
And his full name is actually Theodoulos, um, because I'm trying to give them Greek names, which Ooh. Arvat always laughs at. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so he's short as Theo. Uh, but yeah, he, but he does look a lot like your cat, Antoine. I'll send a picture after we re- we're done recording. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, so okay. thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me for real. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to speak and talk about all of these things that we're going to speak and talk about today. Yes, very much so. I think I have the first question. So yes. we're in season two of our podcast, which is where we're helping and supporting writers in um, exploring writing diversity, specifically in terms of racial identity. But as we interview people, we want them to feel very comfortable to talk about any of the identities that come up because writing is very much a a broad spectrum uh, activity. We aren't, we can't pigeonhole ourselves as writers. So um, our first question today is, what are some of the identity markers that you would identify with? Well, first and foremost would be Antoine. And I think that's really important to, to, to identify first because we are our own person first. And I think sometimes that gets lost within the, you know, the representation um, commentary sometimes is that, you know, we're all individual people. Uh, but of course, you know, there are features of, of us as individuals. Uh, for me in particular, I'm a Black American. Um, specifically, I, I say Black American in particular because um, African American, uh, tends to be used and thrown around similar to Asian American or like Latin American as like a subset of American because I, like for instance, I in 2019 I went to Japan. People saw me, they're like, "Oh, you're American." I'm like, "Wow, that's actually the first time anyone's really called me straight up American without having to put like a, oh no, you're a subset of America. You're you're an African American or anything like that." And something similar that I, I or something that I don't see as often with um, uh, the UK where you see. British people just being denoted as British without any kind of like, you know, tag on there. Um, so yeah, so my identity marker uh, would be Antoine first, uh, but then, you know, American second, and then you can do like Black American, like as, as a third. I, I very much appreciate that. And I also resonate with what you said about being in Japan. Um, my husband is um black and American. And when we lived there and he lived there before I moved there with him, um, he was just American, except for the fact that he didn't like chocolate or beer. So they questioned his (laughs) identity based on that, but he was just American and it was a very different experience than what he and I had experienced traveling and being in America before that. Oh, and apologies. I should clarify too. So the reason I, I say that about the, um, not being a huge fan of like Asian, African, or Latin American, uh, especially when you're in America and you're an American, uh, is because we don't seem to have that same sort of thing for if someone is British American or if they're, you know, uh, uh, some sort of European American, you don't hear that. You don't hear that tag. Maybe with, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, maybe with like Italian, you had a little bit of that, like especially in like the, the early um, 20th century, but then that kind of went away and they kind of got, you know, molded in there. But um, I would be okay with it so long as that sort of language was used throughout every single, you know, quote unquote subgroup in America. But really, I always prefer just American. Because I think that's the way forward for me personally. That's my mentality is that uh, it's a, uh, there was a famous interview that, um, oh my God, forgetting his name because I'm on an interview and I'm blanking because that always happens. Um, uh, 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 Morgan Freeman, uh, he, uh, someone asked like an interview was like, uh, like what was his like um philosophy on racism like how did we end it he's like stop talking about it you know like just 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 be people you know and then that is the best way to do it. and that's the way I was I remember growing up um just being like what well, I'm just Antoine like I don't want to as like a primary I don't want to be seen as like you know whatever you know color I am or culture like I'd, I'd rather just be you know, hey just introduce yourself to me as a person you know don't prejudge based on you know what kind of uh, uh, perception you might have of of people who look like me you know kind of a thing but then there's the reality of you know that that is just the world we live in and people you know often do that and how to navigate between that especially within fiction uh which i know we're going to talk about you know uh, later on but how do you write to to make it known what your character is because there's also the, the the other side of the argument which is um 
you don't want to, as the, well, I'm doing other quote unquote, uh, whitewash your characters um, in, in that like they don't have any sort of identity marker. But then at the same time, it's like, well, you still want to make that person just a person and not like just, you know, whatever their outward facing identity might be. Um, so it's a, it's a hard thing, right? To 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 <laughs> do all of that, like make a person a person, but also don't like uh, erase, uh, you know, their background. Uh, exactly. You know, very very difficult. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a balancing act, right? Because that's the, and we've talked about this in the first uh, season as well. Is that we don't want it to be necessary to mark certain characters, right, for the, with the identity markers that they have, right, to show the diversity. We don't really want that to be a necessary thing. But if you don't mark anybody in any way, the default is like what you said, right? It's like whitewashing. People will assume that you're talking about a white character. And that for me actually leads back to what you were saying before, is that you would not have a problem with having like Afro-American and Asian, uh, Asian American if we also had Irish American, um, Italian American, Scottish Polish American, American, whatever, Polish American. French like, American, I, I hardly ever French hear French American, American ever. You know, like. But the thing is, everybody who is white, right, gets mm-hmm. away with being just American. Right, exactly. And that's, I, that's kind of the same, it, it's the same thing. It's like, they're not marked. So they must be white, or they're seen like. Because you also you talked about the Italians, and of course, um, Jewish people used to be seen as black people. The same for the Irish, but that's you know throughout history that changed, and now they can be just. They can't. They can get away with just being American. Right, and just to say that, that there's a, a a great artist that I um, listen to all throughout my college years. His name's Childish Gambino. You might know him as Donald Glover, the actor, um, yes, and writer. I know. Uh, yeah, so his yeah. first album, which is awesome, his first album, I remember he came, because I used to work at uh, the Apple retail store, and he was just in there buying, like, an iPhone case, because I remember he was, like, a big iPhone fan or whatever. Um, and I was just like, thank you for, like, you know, doing this uh, this album. It was just very honest. And one of those reasons, because he has a line in uh, in one of his songs, and it's called um, Hold You Down, but the line goes, white kids get to wear whatever hat they want when it comes to black kids, one size fits all. And I, like, that hit yeah. so hard for me, because I was just like, wow, like, that's just, like exactly the way that i grew up you know you 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 were put in certain boxes uh because of the outward facing identity but you're like uh but i'm much more than that and then yeah you have these other kids who can just kind of you know they can do everything you know because they don't they're not uh, subjected to you know one stereotype yeah but that's i think yeah that's i think what we also uh why we're doing this podcast because like in this ideal world this podcast would not be necessary right uh, and we want to move like what you said like we want to move towards a future in which when somebody is not marked people in their minds will just fill in anything they want and that can be as diverse as they can have it right but we're not there yet so how do we get there and it's starting to happen like i don't know if you've been following um animation like dragon prince or arcane that recently came out um, on netflix but um they have extremely diverse casts which don't ever they're diverse but they don't ever say like oh i am this character or that character and also helps because they're in fantasy settings too and I, that that might be the the way right like fantasy works um yeah. but uh, or you're seeing that a lot with like a lot of new star wars properties as well um where people are represented but not pandered to Mm-hmm. And I think doing that on screen is a little bit different than doing it on the page. Correct. One of the things I've found is I write diverse casts in my books, but I'll get feedback for readers, um, even readers that aren't necessarily white themselves, where they are assuming everyone in my book is white. And I'm like, if you read it carefully, they're not. But um, to make sure that people see the cast the way I intended them to be seen. And then there's the argument of letting people see what they want to see in your work. I have to focus a little bit more carefully versus right. and on then, screen. And that's the other side of the coin, which I was uh, referring to earlier, where it's like, oh man, you don't want to just keep seeming like you're pandering, but at the same time, you have to make it very clear because like I said, yeah. in today's society that we're in, like you kind of have to do that. For instance, that that was a great example from uh, Hunger Games uh, when we're talking about like from book to movie where, um, people thought Rue was was white, even though it was very clear, or at least it's, maybe it's more clear for um, non-white readers to identify when a uh, an author 
create some sort of representation because for us, we're always like, oh, we're going to latch onto like that one line that's in that one chapter when that <laughs> character was introduced and that's stuck in our yes. brain. But for like a white reader, they'll just kind of read over that and be like, what? I didn't read that part. You know, and you're like, oh no, that totally was there. Same with Katniss, you know, Kat Katniss being an olive tone uh, woman seems like that they're kind of, or the uh, Susan, uh, Suzanne Collins was referring to her being like possibly in Latin American. Um, and then, you know, the, the the casting being different or you know when rue was casted in that movie uh, a lot of white readers were were like hey isn't she supposed to be white because katniss kept uh, referring to her as her sister the entire time and it's like and that's the thing it's like yes because they can have the same personality without having the same you know skin tone or whatever and you know so yeah it's 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 uh it's a weird weird balancing act because of you know the readers that are out there the perceptions that are out there and you kind of having to reiterate certain things that you sh shouldn't have to reiterate yeah it's, it's, I love sorry I love the no, fact that you have art in your books um I I opened up some of your books earlier today I love the fact Antoine that you have just beautiful art all over your books because I feel that that really helps with bringing the visual in and just helping people really connect with your characters yeah no I really am a big fan of art uh, and art in books in particular, especially because, you know, I do young adult, but even in my adult books, I um, have art as well. Not not anything crazy. You know, usually it's just like what, like a character at the, in the back or like in, in the divides of the act breaks in the book. But I, yeah, I just, I'm really, really big fan of that. Yeah, but even like on the, because uh, you're talking about your um, adult fantasy. So I'm, I'm like, I have the paperback of uh, your first Sky Pirate book. And that's just like, the front is just like, because your main character is uh is a woman in the, oh, yeah, in the you series can. yeah you can uh... so you're just like there's a black there's a black pirate woman on the front done yeah right? you can't like, you can't no make way. that mistake at that point no <laughs> yeah so that is i i think that is very helpful um but yeah i mean i agree with bethany like some of your artwork and you always share this on the, on your instagram as well and on facebook and it's i love it yeah yeah i was just gonna say before i want to move on to the next one because uh, um, I think we need to perform. Is that what you're just talking about? I remember this uh, whole debate when um, J.K. Rowling had the um, that latest. It, it was yeah, it came out as a book, but it was a play, and suddenly the Hermione was played by uh, a black woman, and people were affronted. And then other people were like, "Well, have you read the description of Hermione in the first book? She could really be black." I mean, um, I mean, it could be open. I mean, I think it was yeah. later found that like there were expressions in there where it was described as her skin being pale when she was scared, stuff like that. But you could say pale in terms of like, you know, like paler than what her, you know, natural skin tone is. Yeah. But then that, the, the thing about that that I thought was cool is that, yeah, like you, these characters, especially characters that aren't like marked by, you know, any kind of like racial marker in, in the stories, like can be anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. they mean? Like they, they don't have to be like a, a one certain thing. No, but I think I'm so surprised that people get so upset over, especially when it's so open. Right. I know that was a big thing yeah. with Peter Parker going back to Donald Glover again. Um, like once on Twitter, he just like randomly said, "Oh, it'd be cool if there's like a like a black Spider-Man." I mean, that's like that. That's actually how the Miles Morales character got created. Um, where he was just like, "It'd just be cool." And I remember I had a big debate with like a lot of geek friends. Who were like, no, he has to be white. But I'm like, nothing about Peter Parker, nothing about his story. Like, because it's different if you're doing something like Black Panther. Like, Black Panther is like an African uh, Wakandan. Yes. Like, yeah, he, he has to be yes. like, right? There's, cer there's certain characters where, yes, identity markers are like integral. Like, it's, it's embedded into their um, their foundations. But when they're not like a Peter yeah. Parker, like Peter Parker is just a kid from Queens. Like, it yeah, literally can be, be anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you can, you can, and that's where I think true. <laughs> I mean, like, I think we're very, very far away from that sort of thing where, you know, people will be accepting of that. But like, that's where true um, diversity um, and acceptance is, is when you can have like certain characters who don't have like a specific historical or, you know, any sort of identity marker can be whatever. Like you can you can just, you know, cast them whatever you want them to be. Yeah, I mean, I, that's definitely a world I want to work towards. Um, but that, what Bethany said, it is more difficult in writing, which um, doesn't direct, I, I need to go, I was going to try a subtle way into the next question, but I'm, I'm failing, so I'm just going to ask it. Um, are there any stereotypes or tropes um, that you find particularly annoying or harmful? And that could be around uh, Black American representations, but basically anything. 
Like, cause I, I have tropes or stereotypes that I found harmful that are, have nothing to do with me personally, but I still cringe at them. So is there anything that you find particularly problematic? Probably, but like, it's usually stuff that comes up in the moment. Nothing that I like latch onto or hold onto all that often. Um, and also, like I was saying before, well, maybe in books, yeah, in particular, I would like to see, but ah, that's, the, that's the issue. Because the thing, okay, so I have this big issue with with wanting to see rep more representation, but then when I do see it, it does feel like pandering. But it's not like a specific stereotype, I, I would say. It's just um, uh, more of kind of, especially with, with Black characters in, in particular, it's like, oh, the author has to show that they have their Black card by like saying such and such character loves black cultural thing like insert black cultural thing and then, then they have to do that like every few paragraphs or every chapter or so um and i don't know yet what that true balance is so what i typically do i guess in my own writing is that i just write characters normally and then and i guess it helps for me because i like live in the black experience and I myself identify first as a person uh, or, you know, as American um, first, and then, you know, all the other stuff comes in, into it. So that when I do slip certain things in, uh, for example, if I talk about um, CP time, like that's something that most people wouldn't really uh, know, know much about. But like, uh, if I slip things like that in, that's just like natural occurrence that just happens. Um, I think that's the best way to do it uh, uh, versus like, you know, having a, a big sign that says, hey, look, Black character here. I'm going to say something really Black now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Waving a sign around. But I think that's kind of part do. of it. Like, that's part of the, um, I guess, the transition period into uh, 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 getting into, like, this balanced state is that you kind of just have the the pendulum swings have to go each way. Like, that, that seems to be the, the way that... Um, I guess humanity operates, I guess, especially like now, like social media, um, like very uh, huge dichotomies that we, we have these days. Um, it seems that you have to swing in one direction crazy and then swing the other way direction. And be like, all right, cool. Where's the middle now? You know, versus just yeah. looking for the middle at the beginning. <laughs> that seems to be the case. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I, would, I, I would wonder whether we can do that, just be in the middle. Because... But then people think if you're in the middle, then they think you're not like, representing enough you know what i mean like it's, it's hard <laughs> yeah yeah but but we do we do have this sort of collective unconsciousness this sort of like tendency to to see anything that's unmarked as the norm um so i do think we have to be bombarded with other representations that are constructive um, and actually representative uh, and actually uh, actually representations that people like identifying with i think we need a lot of those to sort of balance the scales and then hopefully we can get to this moment where we don't need to describe people's skin tones or what have you in 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 or sexualities whatever like identity markers we're talking about uh but yeah like you said like i love how you use the pendulum Right, because I, I, I do think we're at the other, we're swinging the other direction. And I think we have a bit of swinging to go before we can find that balance. Right, yeah. And I think that's just a, a natural way that it's just going to have to be, like you, that, that pendulum swing just has to happen that way. Yeah. Yeah, you're reminding me of how excited my husband got when um, the, the Spider-Man movie with the- um... Miles Morales? Yes, thank you. The, into the spider-verse yeah the movie has a seizure warning on it so i can't see it but i mean oh it does go kind of crazy that's true i really want to see it because i love spider-man in all the renditions i've seen like every other movie of spider-man but um no there was a, a lot of excitement in the community among him our friend groups um, that was one i think that did really good a, a being subtle with it because there's some because he's um, um an, an afro latino so he actually has a puerto rican mother and a black father um and it's just small stuff like like at the beginning of that movie they have like you know the kitchen getting ready for school and then he's like you know speaking a little bit of spanish to his mom and then having his little time with his dad and it's just a natural just oh morning with these with this family and then you like insert the natural things that would just come up with that specific family unit versus it being like a whole 
you know, I mean, there's certain, I don't want to like name certain movies, but there's certain movie franchises that will just like make it known like, oh, these are, this is the, the, the brown and black family, you know, but it was just like, no, this is just a family. And this just happens to be like the way they interact with each other. Just letting people be people. I think something that we talked about a lot in our first season was you're going to avoid a lot of problems if you allow all of your characters to be characters and individuals naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like really, like the better the background, like the more well-rounded they are, the the more you avoid falling into traps like, oh, yeah, oh, so yeah, you got your, you ticked black and you you ticked gay of your diversity. So you, your novel is good. Like you can, you have a pass. Um, if you actually go beyond these things and actually create um, and I think we've discussed it as well in the in the last episode of, of, of season um, season one when we we had some reader questions and like we said the thing is that what you tend to see people do is make the 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 identity marker or the issues that people might have around the identity marker really big within their character arc. And while that is sometimes the case and some things are like let's not erase struggles, but you can, like what you, what, you, what you keep saying, like you're Antoine first, then you're American, and then you're Black American. It would be nice if people wrote their diverse characters in that same way. That's the order. Right. Yeah. So this, yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the next question because I think it rolls really nicely. Could you tell us a little bit more about why you write the characters that you write in your work? Because you, you seem to have a broad spread and what... What brings them up for you and why do you write them? Well, the first book I did was the Kishi. Um, and the reason I did that one is because I had watched season six, I think, season six of Game of Thrones. And I just literally looked up on Google like, oh, African Game of Thrones, does that exist? Uh, I didn't, uh, but it was, I found a lot of other uh, uh, great um, Black fantasy works from like Nnedi Okorafor or uh, N.K. Jemisin fifth season in particular. Um, but they weren't exactly books that like I was looking for. Um, and as seems to be the, uh, the common thread for writers is, you know, you write the book that doesn't exist because you would like to read it. Um, that's what I did. And then my brother, he is really into Dungeons and Dragons. And he says, oh, there's just like a little footnote about this character called Akishi, uh, supposed to be from some somewhere in Africa. And I, I did like a whole research on it. And Akishi is was not in any story period so i was like oh cool i would like to read a book about aikishi and it doesn't it did not exist at all and even though it's about a uh a, a charmer like a some it's, a, it's like a vampiric like uh creature where you have a, a charming man in, in the front and then he has a hyena on the back of his head that you know he charms you and then eats you and i was like oh wow and then to the point where and if he likes the person that he's pursuing the most um he impregnates them um, and then the demon child comes out of the, the womb. And I was like, wait, wait, time out. Like, this is like, this doesn't exist anywhere. Like, absolutely no one's ever said, oh, this sounds like an interest, interesting story. And no, it, it didn't. So then I wrote it uh, myself for that reason. Um, and then going forward, uh, the, the, I had a pirate character in that work, which evolved into the sky pirate stuff. And then I wanted to do something contemporary because um, I was having a hard time with some of my older stuff writing certain things so like like oh i can't write that phrasing it's too modern or i can't write that that wouldn't have existed then um so and going into tj young and the orishas uh that was a much easier voice for me and then even my uh, proofreader was like you were so confident in this work and i was like yeah because i can actually talk about basketball or like dragon ball z in the middle of it you know um and and that is like the trajectory of how I got into it. So first was just like a, a, a interest in this uh, African folklore, uh, evolving that into like, you know, the Sky Pirate thing and then wanting to do contemporary uh, and doing something that was more akin to like Percy Jackson and Harry Potter. I haven't come across, I've just started uh, your the um, TJ Young, the first book. Uh, and I've, I've I've passed the basketball, of course, um, but I haven't gotten I haven't come across the, the Dragon Ball Z reference yet. Oh, that that's when he gets the camp because he's a he's a nerdy kid and he uh, gets close with another character based on his nerdiness. Well, that's how introverts do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, introverts and nerds. I mean, you just listed off most of my friend group. <laughs> I wonder whether there's a correlation. 
Uh, possibly. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> possibly. Have you reached that sweet place where you've written out your entire story? It's a wonderful feeling. You've worked so hard for this, spent so many long hours at the keyboard or talking to yourself via recorder, then going over it again at the computer. It's been mostly internal work, and it's often been alone. But now it's time to take it from rough to polished. And for that, outside perspective is essential. Let me help you. As a developmental editor, I, Bethany A. Tucker, will take your hand, sort through your draft, answer your questions, and help you polish it until your work shines. You don't have to do this alone. It doesn't matter if this is your first book or your 10th book, whether you've published this book already and want to make it better, or you're teetering on the edge, eager to publish for the first time. Together, we can take your book to the next level. Contact me via links in the show notes or at theartandscienceofwords at gmail.com to take the next step. I think um, it's so amazing that the Kishi, like this character, this uh, legend or mythology, mythological creature you described, it sounds like there's so many avenues and so much that could be explored and that no one had written it yet is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, very, very much so. Like, I, I was like, really? Like, th- there's no story. Like, like, I really went deep into Google, like, looking for it. I was like, there's nothing in here. <laughs> Where did you end up doing uh, doing your research and being able to get research on something that's, like, not talked about so much? So I started with, I went really broad when I started. Um, so I think this was, like, in 2016. Yeah, 2016. Um, I read a world history book that was that just looked at Africa, the um, continent. And then I started going smaller and smaller to the point where I went to Angola. And then I went to the, uh, I believe it was the Kimbundu peoples um, who um, believe in the, uh, the, the Kishi uh, mythology. Um, and then, you know, just, just, just diving deep in, into that research. And yeah, so it's uh, books you have to find usually in libraries um, because if you find some of these books, uh, like I think there's one called like African religions and traditions or something like that. And it's like $400 <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, oh, wait, but it's in my library. So let me just go there, you know, kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, just a lot of uh, books with, with research. Um, Google using that first to just identify where these resources are and then like seeking those out, like I was saying, via library. Yeah, I used to work in a library and I've People forget that your local university libraries can ask for resources from around the world as well. Mm -hmm. So like I always tell people, go make friends and walk into any library and ask. The worst they can do is tell you no. And most of the time they're really excited by a question they haven't gotten before. Yeah, very much so. Well, even if they cannot get you the book in the end, they will almost die trying. Like any good librarian will just go for it. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, do you have really, library yeah. sorry do you have favorite libraries in la well i mean we're really lucky because yeah we're los angeles so like um the los angeles public library is i think second only to the one in new york if i'm not mistaken so like it's a huge like if you've been there it's like floors upon floors upon floors of just books and resources um but yeah i think it's much more difficult if you're like you know in a smaller town or something or more rural um i'm lucky because you know i live in an urban urban city that happens. There is yeah. interlibrary loan, though. So as long as you're able to wait, which is hard in this age, but if you can wait, they can get any book from anywhere in the state. Or if you go through um, university libraries, it's usually anywhere in your country. I don't know what it's like in Europe, but it's um, well on a smaller scale, obviously, uh, because most European countries are smaller than any U.S. state. Right. Well, maybe not all of them, but generally, like I'm from the Netherlands, right? So right. it's like, if you want to cross the country diagonally, it's like four or five hours, maybe by car. So that's, that's just it. So yeah, we do have, uh, my mom volunteers at, uh, at, like I grew up, like the library is at the end of my street as I grew up. My mom still lives in the same house and she volunteers at the library. And yeah, it's like really uh, regionally. Like in the province, I think you can get um, any book, and I think for a fee you can get any book in the in the country. As long as like as long as it's part like there is like there's always like hierarchies and there's like networks. As long as it's part of a particular network, 
um, you can definitely get your hand on a book. Yeah. And I tell that people all the time. Sometimes they're like, oh man, like where can I get the book for free? And they're always like, really, they're asking me, like, well, how do I get it legally for free? I'm like, just go to your local library and then we still get paid. Are our libraries free in the US? Yes, they're free in the US for the readers, um, not for the library themselves. Like they have to buy, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, you don't get library cards? Like, you don't yeah. have to pay an annual fee? No, yeah, it's free. No, no, it's free. Completely free. Well, at least in Los Angeles. I don't know about other states because we all each state in the United States has their own like individual laws and things like that. But no, in in California, yes, uh, libraries are completely free. I've lived in quite a few states in the U.S. and um, public uh, regional libraries are usually free. You may have to pay like two dollars for a card in some cases. Yeah, that's the only thing I think you have to pay for is the card itself. And that's usually to pay for like the physical whatever material they're using for the card yeah it's not for getting books or anything there's no like there's no payment in, in that regard like i have a library uh card right now but i do the digital one now because you know the pandemic kind of like opened that up uh, with the libby app and yeah like i just use my standard uh los angeles library card and yeah i pay nothing <laughs> to, to, to order these books many places uh, only charge you that card charge if you lose your card and they have to give you a second one but the first one is typically free as well yeah, very yeah, very much. It's a it's government funded, so yeah. I'm 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 just like well, I'm okay, Caroline. I should say it. I guess we are paying for it just via our taxes. So there you go. There because yeah, really, there's no such thing as a free lunch. But no, well, no. Yeah. But I'm but I'm just shocked that like Bethany and I were comparing like health service and and all that kind of stuff like from the Netherlands, even for even Cyprus, right? And and the taxes in the Netherlands are much higher, like even compared to Cyprus um and I'm, I'm not saying that we pay a huge deal right like we pay like 40 euros a year to be a member of the library right so it's not like anything crazy and and if you are depending on your income you i think you can get it for free um but it depends kind of on your status i'm just i'm just surprised that something is cheaper in the u.s <laughs> that's just, i'm but just you really get excited here you no, I'm just, yeah, I, I would definitely I want to switch that up. I would have rather have health care than free books. And then pay $40 a year to get books, right? I mean, that's that's reasonable. No, I'm just, it's, it's great. It's exciting because libraries are like lifesavers. Like, I mean, my my library saved my life, I think. Oh, you saying that? That actually reminds me of something because I'm playing a game right now called Persona 5 Royal and it takes place in Tokyo, Japan. And part of the, it's like a slice of life game uh, partially and also like a dungeon crawler. But in it, I remember the character had to pay like an annual fee to rent. Um, oh, was he reading books or reading movies? I can't remember what it was, but he was basically like paying an annual fee. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like a thing in Japan. Because I can't tell like what is the video game and what is like actual Japan culture. <laughs> and then, But you uh -huh. saying that, I was like, oh, wait, I think that's a thing in Japan too. I think they also pay like an, an annual fee. Yeah, but as, as long as it's not too crazy, right? Like I, for years, I've, I've just, I was a member of the library. I never actually went to the library anymore because like I did everything online um, and they never like I read a lot of English books. Surprise, surprise. Uh, they don't offer a lot, but I just stayed a member to support them. Anyway, so that's that's. Um, but yeah, but libraries. OK, <laughs> I'm going to push we us along all... to the next question. Yeah, yeah, I know. Just, the time. Uh, summing this up, libraries are awesome and good for you, America. Yes, utilize uh, them. Utilize them more. Yeah. Okay. They, so we, libraries you, actually get funding based on foot traffic and checkout rates. So if you check things out and show up at your library, it puts pressure on local governments to actually fund them, just so people know. Take that advice. Um, so you talked a little bit about that already when you talked about your uh, research for the Kishi, but I was wondering because I, I've, I know some of your work and you do write pretty diverse characters both in terms of race ethnicity gender sexuality ability oh i'm so, glad you you said that too because that's important as well but sorry i think you have more questions so go ahead sorry <laughs> yeah this was my introduction to my question so the question would be what are some of the challenges that came that came up and come up for you while you write these characters um and how did and do you deal with them and just leading back to what you said earlier about uh the song that you know that for every black person, like the same cap fits, right? Right, exactly. You don't like that's not how that's not how you write your characters. No, and that's huge. So, and I think that helps that the majority of my cast. Oh, sorry, I think you have more questions. 
No, that was it. So the, I'm wondering, like, how did you do that? Because they're not all like you're not you're not writing your, yourself, basically. Right. You're writing right. completely the first set of characters. So what are the challenges that came up and are coming up for you? Because even TJ Young is not you. No, no, he's um, not me. He's not definitely not me. He's much, he, he's much taller. He's definitely more snarky and witty than I am. Um, <laughs> um, but no, that's a huge thing. I think, it, I think it is actually easier for me to represent diversity within the Black community because all the, or a majority of the characters are Black in that story, in most of my stories. Um, and that's a huge thing that you'll hear um, from a lot of Black Americans is that, hey, we're not a monolith. Like, we're all very different. Yes. Like, especially, like, uh, Black nerds in particular. Like, we've, we've been existing. We've been out here. But you did, didn't really hear about it much until, like, maybe, like, the early 2000s, like, mid-2000s. Because, like, another another thing that Don Glover said in one of his stand-ups, he's like, it was illegal to be a Black nerd until, like, 2003 or something like that. Um, uh, so... Yes. So I, I wanted to represent like even the main character. So I have TJ. He is um, technically Nigerian American because his mother is uh, Nigerian and his father is a, a black American. Um, Manny uh, Manuela Martinez, uh, the, she's representing the Latina Amer um, American uh, character. Uh, she is Brazilian American, um, but still very much black. Like, and that's the thing. Sometimes people, when they uh, hear Latin American, they're like, "Oh, oh, you mean like a brown person, or maybe like a slightly light skinned kind of person?" But it's like, no, that there's there's a lot, especially in Brazil in particular. Uh, I believe the majority of their population is actually black, but you don't really see that in their media all that um, all that often, um, because again, the, not again, but like uh, to say the slave trade was was yes. most prevalent there. America gets a lot of the representation there, but really it was it was South America that was doing the majority of that. Um, well, then, don't forget. I mean, just just don't forget who ruled South America at the time. That was the Portuguese, right? Or I mean, well, yeah. Spanish, Spanish, and Portuguese. Uh, yes, yeah, Spanish, Spanish and Portuguese. Yeah, yeah, and they were they were also like the Dutch uh, and the French. They were huge slave traders. They uh, have Haiti, Haiti. That's where uh, France, uh, France was. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, it yeah. was pretty significant. Yeah. And people kind of forget that that there's a large population uh, of, of those people there. But then you know, whenever you hear about that subset you know you're like oh it's just brown people or slightly light, lighter skinned people um and then of course we have io who's in the book as well he is straight up just a nigerian who just happens to be in, in the in the states in that book for the the camp that he's the magic camp he's in but in doing that and even with my other characters too like i i have a um yolanda graves i have a a, a dubois in there like there, there's so many different kinds of flavors of black people that you can get in your day to day. And that, that was extremely important for me uh, uh, to represent in, in the book uh, because of the idea of like, yeah, like the, the one size fits all uh, mantra, which I yeah. never was a fan of, um, especially because when you're living in it, you're like, no, it's not like that at all. Like, you know, like, like that's not how it is to, to be among the black community. We, we aren't just like these the people that you see possibly like on, on television or whatever. Um, so it wasn't really a challenge for me, I would say. It was more excitement because um, I could actually do it. Because I, I do see that more of a challenge if maybe I was doing a story where not the majority of the characters were Black. Because then, yeah, then you have a... Uh, the, you have this huge weight on that one black character's shoulder because like oh look everything they're doing let's see what they're doing because that that's going to be a representation of what what the, this entire uh you know community of people are um it's a little bit easier when you know you have a bunch of um black and brown characters in your care uh, in your work and you know you can represent them um diversely um in their personalities in the same way you would with you know any other group yeah, yeah great really that's, like that's, that. yeah that's a great answer yeah spreading it out among multiple characters mm -hmm, well not indeed. even spreading it out because i mean it was just naturally what you were writing and naturally the set of people yeah, just naturally people with. that i you know that i knew growing up or you know interact with you know in in my adult life it's just it was literally just oh let me just you yes. uh, blanked out for like uh two seconds oh yes it did, it, i just got a notification that says your internet connection is unstable um <sighs> Excellent. Well, 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 we might cut that or not. What were you saying? Um, uh, what was? Oh, yes. Yeah. So it was easier for me to do it because I was just pulling from my life, whether in growing up or when uh, just my adult life, because I'm like, oh, that's like my grandmother. Uh, that is like my second grade friend. You know, like it, it, it was easy to do because like, oh, I finally can like represent these people diversely <laughs> because it's majority like the cast is majority uh, black and brown. 
Yeah, I guess I, I do. I, I'm really curious um, because Salah in uh, in in, in uh, your first Sky Pirate book, I was I was really curious why you chose her as your main POV character. That's just because um, I had wrote about a guy, and it was like a more typical guy because he was like this warrior class, and he was just like always oh, a rager, and he's trying to like fight against his rage. And I was like, I'd like to you know just switch it up. Um, and, and have and in particular with Zala, because that was a huge thing, too, when I was like designing the cover. People were like, oh, is that a man? You know, and I was like, no, it's a woman with short hair because women can have short hair. And like I wanted and I wanted her to have her, her her naps and curls. I didn't want her to have like, you know, this perm <laughs> or, or whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, I wanted to make sure that that. I had a character yeah who happened to be a a a, a woman but like and a black woman at that and also i again like i was saying earlier it's, it seems to be easier to do that in fantasy um um because it's just it's a fan it's a fantasy world uh kind of a situation but with her story uh in particular like for instance there's there's two um uh gay characters in, in, in the work that are sort of the antithesis of what we uh, most times you think of the stereotype with like the flamboyant sort of thing they're both like would be considered like you know the the the, the strong men or whatever like strong pirate guys like the ones who are like the brutes who fight for you but they're, oh they're also like lovers um and i wanted to do that as well uh you know like keeping all of that in focus rather than just again Oh, this is a huge thing that George R. R. Martin said. I think one of his interviews, uh, the, the the writer of uh, A Song and Fire, uh, Ice and Fire, um, he someone in an interview asked him like, "Oh, why is it that you wrote?" I think I think they were asking specifically for gay characters in particular, um, but it, this could be for anything. And he's like, "Oh, well, because they exist." And I always like his writing because he doesn't. He's he's probably the best representation I feel for 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 what I would want to see, uh, in, in that he just writes what exists rather than going out of his way to like say you know this person is this thing. It's more of like a more of an observation of life in in way he writes prose rather than uh, a commentary or like a an agenda or anything like that. He just kind of is like oh no I'm just writing like you know like as if he is just someone looking into like his little playhouse and this is just what's happening versus like him you know going in and inserting paint into you know his uh his playhouse um i'm actually glad i remember that because yeah he's like probably the perfect representation of what i would like to see um in, in prose fiction with that regard i was so before we went on on this recording i was telling bethany exactly about that you have these two gay characters but it's very like at no one, one point you just it. real yeah at one point yeah. you just realize that they're lovers and you're like okay and it's like nobody cares and I make no big no, about it it's just no no it's yeah. just it's really just if you read too fast like you're not like and I was just telling her that I was like that's how it's done because because like we're like because they are there. Yeah, they just they're there. You don't have to <laughs> it's like just you know, reality, right? Point and look, point and look. It's just like oh no, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. They went yeah. off and they enjoyed each other that night. You know, like that's all, that's all you need to you know, you know. Yes, yes. I remember that I scene. It. Yeah. Hey, Bethany, I think what, like, Antoine is leading us really well into the next question by what he just said about George R. R. Martin. Yeah, so you just gave us George R. R. Martin, but could you name, um, do you have any other authors or do you want to expound on him a little bit more? Um, people that you think do diversity well in their writings and do you have any specific works in mind? Um, uh, Claudia Gray will be another one. Um, right now, she's most known for being um, a, a writer for Star Wars uh, fiction ever since the Disney Inquisition. Uh, in particular, uh, was it Lost Stars? I can't remember which book it was. Uh, it was either Lost Stars or, or, or Bloodline, where it was very similar. Like there, there's there was representation in there, but it's not like a, a big point. And look, oh, look at the thing I did. I'm putting in here. It was just like, a, no, yeah, just does exist and then move on you know just like you would with any other you know character like if it was a for instance if what were we speaking about before with the gay pirates if if, if it was a straight you know thing I, that's what i try to do just write this as if it, they were straight characters and then just move on just in the same way like that's what i want to see from books that's how i i write them so yeah claudia gray would be another one uh, i would say yeah george r, r. martin um oh, who's another one uh what was her name uh, Brittany morris would be another one um Oh man, I can't remember. I, I, we'll, we'll keep it to those three. <laughs> okay. 
Brittany Moore, Claudia Gray, um, and George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote them down. So did I actually. Yeah. yeah. No, but this is but I, I really like like that's exactly um that oh, sorry, whole... I lied. One more, one more. Um oh, go uh, ahead, Chuck, go Chuck, Chuck, uh, Chuck Windig. He's also really good at that too. All right, sorry. Chuck Windig. Yeah, no, I really like what you said there. It's like the, this whole yeah, so this this is a thing. Yeah. And if and I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people a, a, a lot of people might not and I don't know if that has anything to do with us being on our phones all day these days, but it's I sometimes feel that people are not observing the world the way we do, or maybe observing has always been the job of the writer. I don't know. But it's like, if you really look at the world, there's so much more diversity than you think there is. Mm -hmm. But you just have to, you just have to look. Even in, not even in the the, the more, you know, I guess like I don't say like quote unquote popular <laughs> stereotypes or whatever like you know the, the big stuff like oh black people or you know gay people but even just in like someone you might like oh, for instance I just started playing softball ooh in 2019 like I started doing like rec leagues adult leagues stuff like that recently we had someone come on our team and he was from Carolina and I kind of did like the reverse where he had like you know this big beard he kind of looks like a redneck which in, in America uh, rednecks are kind of like the the hillbilly type of people uh, in America. And so uh, like I, that first time I saw him, I remember me and my dad saying this because he was coming into our team. We we're like, oh my God, I really hope this guy is like not racist or prejudiced in any kind of way. And that was us not knowing him, you know? And then as, uh -huh. you know, being on the team with him and, and, and getting to know him, he's absolutely not that guy at all. Like, and it was just really awesome to 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 have that. And, um, and also just to remember, you know, like just because of the way someone looks just on the other end of it, you know, you shouldn't be um, making uh, prejudgments until you actually get to know them. And I, I, that's why I like most about me playing uh, recreational sports, because it helps a lot in that, that you're meeting a lot of different people, um, competing with them, and then, you know, seeing these personalities, you know, in this way that you don't typically, you know, see. Yeah, and it's and then, and this is something that and uh, we talked about this before on, on the podcast as well, is that recognizing the humanity in the other. Mm -hmm. Right? Em it's empathy like, is so important, I think. Yeah, and it's... it's Because once you do that, right, it, it will also... I, I think this is, this, is, this is a great way to become a better writer as well. Just to, to have that openness to other people. Uh, and like you said, like you, you found a way to just automatically connect to different people and you have something that you have in common. Well, exactly. maybe if you'd run into this guy at some birthday party, you would have like given him a white birth because you're like, oh, fuck no. Um, but now you're kind of in this situation, you're kind of forced to, you know, connect and then you realize, oh, wait a second. Oh, this is not, he's not that guy that I had in mind. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's uh, like the movie. Remember the Titans, the one with Denzel Washington. I think it came out in like 98 or 99. Yeah, it's it was been basically out that. Yeah, where it was a, um, a school that was being integrated. Uh, I don't remember what 50s, 60s, 70s. I can't remember what, what time period it was. Um, but it was like, you know, black students and the white students having to be on the same football team and then being on that team together made them like, you know, push through barriers and then becoming best friends and things like that. Certain, certain, you know, teammates being best friends who would have never you know even engaged in a friendship yeah but is, i see this yeah go ahead this is why i jokingly say when sometimes people mm -hmm. ask me how to become a better writer i'm like go take a basket weaving class because that's like something people make fun of in america sometimes like oh you took a basket weaving class in college and i'm like go go do it because you'll meet people you'll be forced to be with people. And a lot of writers, we end up in our same social circles and we don't go out. And then we're like, mm -hmm. how do we write these people? And I'm like, well, maybe get out, walk away from your desk. <laughs> yeah. But I see that what I was going to say is that I, I see those questions sometimes and like writer groups that they ask, like, I want to write this person, but, and I'm like, it's, it's, but they write about these characters or these potential characters and these, these people that they're supposed to represent as if they're like a, a different breed. Right, exactly. And, you, and I'm we like, have way more in common than we uh, have uh, differences. Yes, and I was comparing it, I was comparing it in, in the last episode of, of, of season one, is that people seem to have, like when you write about cops and you have no, no, you don't know any cops, um, 
what you do is you ask a cop maybe about this character that you're writing like mm -hmm. or is this scene realistic but for some reason when we talk about big identity markers like race or sexuality or or gender i think it would be people would be less hesitant to ask somebody of the of a different sex to ask how do you feel maybe maybe if the other person is transgender because that's kind of you know that's an identity marker with a with word quite a bit of tension um and it kind of feels that suddenly because we talk about these kind of things like race ethnicity gender sexuality ability suddenly we're afraid to ask people how do you feel about this i'm trying to do this is is am i but if somebody's a cop or a butcher or a priest there isn't that sort of threshold to just go and ask them hey Yeah, no, indeed. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So I'm going to ask one follow-up question to something we asked earlier. Your characters, um, they go to different places. Um, so these are actually, were these all places your characters went? Did you visit them all yourself physically? Or how did you do the research for off-site, quote-unquote? So that's much harder to do for kishi and sky pirate chronicles because you know sky pirates and uh demon uh demon people <laughs> so <laughs> I bet. uh so with those um like for instance i like i said before i did a lot of um independent research uh with uh the kishi like looking at a lot of african uh, history looking at a lot of, of, of videos of like the types of areas those would be in um I don't necessarily think you have to go to certain places to uh, represent them well. Um, however, I do think you do should get feedback from those people. Like, for instance, in my first book, uh, for my, my first uh, TJ book, which is much more important because it's a contemporary modern day. So there's a lot more you know connections to real world things. So there's a lot of Yoruba in it, which is the, one of the Nigerian languages. So, you know, you just go online and you start asking around or you know if you have personal friends like i had friends who um spoke yoruba and i was like hey can you read this over make sure my accent marks are right make sure these phrasings make sense because usually my first pass is just like a light google translate and i'm like ah oh, this placeholder and then i'm like okay well later on let's highlight all of these and make sure that they're done correctly which is what i did i had the uh, a gentleman who went through every single piece of yoruba and like helped help me so much with like those accent markers because they're very very specific um or, you know, anything like cultural uh, based because I've never been in Louisiana. Oh, no, I actually have been in Louisiana, actually. So no, I'm lying on that part. I've been in Louisiana, but only like for a day, you know, or like a few hours, really. Um, so, you know, you, you get readers who are from that area. I make sure that 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 stuff is represented correctly. Um, for my second book, it takes place in Nigeria. So I have like a lot of Nigerian readers um, who are helping me out. Like there's for even some uh, the smallest thing is like there's no such thing as like middle school and high school in Nigeria. They do um, a junior secondary school and uh senior secondary school so even small stuff like that and they don't and, and or even smaller than that so like they don't even call it that like if you're a kid going to school you call it js1 or js2 or ss1 ss2 like the way that we would say like fourth grade sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade ninth grade um so even getting small little cultural things like that is is literally just designed by having conversations as you guys are saying like interviews and conversations with actual people who live in those areas i love it it's the same way. I taught English in Japan, China, and Korea, and every place has their own system. And if you don't talk to someone about it, you don't even think to look it up. Mm -hmm. No, I, I have that in my own work that it's it's based on the it's 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 based loosely on the British system. Um, but I did not go to school in England or in Scotland, so I had to ask my friend who has um, who actually. Because my, my main character has been homeschooled for most part. So I had to ask my friend. I have a friend who homeschooled her son um, for the majority of his school going year. So I had to ask her, how does it work? Like, what kind of, what are your choices? What are the things you need to do? Um, like, after, when he's 16, what does he do then? Because it, it just works different in every country. Um, so, yeah, those are the things you really have to attend to, actually. Um, because yeah. it's not so, a, a question that I see coming up from people trying to do this is how do you find readers from these regions? So how were you able to um, have readers from Nigeria or Louisiana, et cetera? 
the internet is an amazing place. So for instance, so here's, here's one story, like a specific story that, so it's an actionable one. So I knew that I was going to be doing like Nigerian school system. Um, so what I literally did is I went to YouTube and I would, and I did a Nigerian school vlog or something like that. I think, I think I did some, something that would show me videos of a vlog of a student who, you know, I was, I was wondering, Oh, well, there's people who vlog in, you know, America all the time, I'm pretty sure there's something I can find from Nigeria. And then when I did that, I found someone like immediately. And that's how I found out about like stuff like um, the the terminology of JS1 for like junior secondary school year one. Um, and then I found her on Instagram because she had a, you know, her Instagram tags on her, all her videos. And I was like, hey, would you like to read uh, my story to make sure like, you know, I'm getting all that stuff right. And she agreed. And so, the, and we've interacted so much to the point where I actually named a character after her, you know? So like, it's just, you know, just going out and legit finding that stuff that's awesome that's really yeah. awesome I love that. so you, you gave us some pointers already uh in in, in the whole interview but i wanted to know is there anything else you would give as advice to anyone who wants to write more diverse character like what to think about what not to do yeah just like, literally i think it's really just sensitivity readers um or or, or going out and talking to the person of that community um for example i have uh something a storyline that's coming up that has to do with a, a character coming out uh so i spoke to literally oh man it had to be a dozen of my friends who are of that community and and because i had a specific storyline that's going to be tied to it because it was a very interesting interesting story that i heard from one of my friends but i wasn't sure if that was like a Oh, and that too, like uh, when people do journalism or research, there's a, the idea of cross-referencing and, and things like that. Because sometimes if you just get like one type of story and you just represent that totally, then you have that same issue again of like making that um, a monolith or getting it wrong because, you know, one person's individual story might not be representative of like, you know, what the collective might have. Um, so when I did that, I, I, I the story that he had, I, I, I presented that to uh, um, these others and they were like, oh yeah, no, that's very much something that happens like quite often. And I was like, all right, cool. So I know that that storyline that I'm doing like actually um, has some basis. Um, and that is uh, one of those things that are like a collective sort of uh, experience that happens um, in coming out uh, or uh, figuring out one's sexuality um, versus if I kind of like, you know, just went off that one story and then that was just like that person's individual thing then that might not have been like the best but yeah it's just always uh, cross-referencing speaking to not just one but many um and kind of giving like a because you'll even get different um ideas like if you talk to someone from america or from any country and you ask them what their country is like or what they like about it what they don't like even when we were talking about the state systems right when we were talking about california library systems and other states like it, it could be different you know and that's why you want to get a diverse opinion within the diverse group <laughs> I love it. I'm, yeah. I totally love every bit of that. It's so on point. Yeah, but it's good. Like it's, 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 it's great advice that, uh, cause I, I do think that sometimes in the fear, like, like I said, like there, there is a lot of fear around writing diverse characters. Um, so there's also a fear of asking people. And I think it's partly because we're like, oh, but they're a different community and maybe also embarrassing that you have to ask. But like I said, like if you write about a cop, nobody's embarrassed that they don't know anything about being a cop, which is not the career they chose. And so if you don't have a particular identity market, that's not really your fault. Um, so if you want to write about that, you have to ask about it. Um, and I'm wondering whether that fear and that embarrassment makes us go like, okay, I'll just check in with one person. And if they say it's go, it's a go. I'm like, no, take it easy. Like, you know, actually in, in, invest. Um, and, and, and sort of check it with like, I love the cross-referencing, like check it with multiple people and see if, if, if it's just this individual story, which can still work, right? Or whether more people from the same community have a similar experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to do my, uh, my time cop job and remind everyone we're yes. coming up. We've, we've just clicked over to an hour. Um, and I know we all have places we need to be later today. So any last thoughts before Antoine, I uh, ask you where people can find you and what you want to point people at? Oh, sorry, you were asking me, correct? Yeah, any last thoughts before uh, we start wrapping up? Um, uh, I guess just the final thought is just is really just to have more conversations with people. Because yeah, you'll, you'll find a, um, 
a, a lot. And I mean, from people that you might not typically uh, speak to um, just in general, I think it's always just a good idea just to have a diverse uh, friend group. And when I say diverse, I don't mean diverse in identity markers necessarily, but even just personality types or occupations. Um, um, yeah. All, all, all of that really helps to make you a more round person or just even a, a writer specifically, you know, like when typically sometimes they'll go to like a writers will go to a coffee shop, you know, and just listen into all those conversations or be on public transit, listening to all conversations. Those are really important. Um, I think, but, you know, in, beyond just eavesdropping, you know, also like, you know, go ahead and talk to some of those people as well. I love it. I have been totally yeah. guilty of sitting in coffee shops and listening to people partially because my hearing's so good. They don't think I can hear them. <laughs> I think we're all, but I think we're all guilty of that. Uh, yeah. But I think that's what we do best. Yeah. No. Go out, meet more people, and and actually talk to them and listen. Definitely listen. Yeah. Don't forget the listening part. All right, Antoine. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, where can people find you, and where would you like to point people? Are there any books you would like to mention, etc.? Um, so the best place to find me is just to go to AntoineBandele.com. So A-N-T-O-I-N-E-B-A-N-D-E-L-E.com. Um, and that's where you'll find literally everything. You'll, you'll find the books, the social media, uh, the audiobook services, all of that. Um, and right now, TJ Young and the Odishas is the, the, the big one right now. Um, like there's a lot of stuff going like behind the scenes with that currently right now and it's like my main focus for sure <laughs> so like that one is the, the main one to, to look at yeah awesome. and i like yeah we we, we kind of got that like we we, we stalked you a little bit <laughs> a little bit and uh that was very obvious um but yeah make so that's and we will definitely put uh, a link to your uh, to your website in the show notes of course so people can can find you and like if they're struggling i know a lot of people are struggling with their audiobooks Antoine is your person um, to go to. Yeah, we have so, now 19 talent that we work with now. Um, oh, wow. The engineer that's, yeah. that's excellent. That's really good. Awesome. Okay. Thank All you right, so we'll much for doing this notes. with us. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Everyone have a wonderful day. You too. joining us music for this show was written and produced by eric mills if you found this episode helpful please rate and review on your favorite podcast app and spread the word so other writers can find us too to get our doing diversity and writing toolkit which includes all bonus material from season one go to representationmatters.art that's dot a-r-t here you will also find our episode show notes happy writing and see you next episode Thank you.